Good morning, everybody. <laughs> My name's Beth. I'm going to be doing the Bible reading today. We're reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. So this is Jesus teaching um, after his resurrection and before his ascension into heaven. Um, and it's a wonderfully encouraging piece. So I'll just pray and then I'll read the Bible to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that since these words were spoken over 2,000 years ago, your gospel has gone out all through the world, that there are people almost everywhere who know you. We have brothers and sisters in many, many different countries, and yet we know there are many, many others who have not heard your name yet, and we pray that you would equip us to make disciples so that everybody has a chance to come into your kingdom. Amen. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. All right. Well, we are continuing on our series looking at our vision, mission, values, and culture here at Living Church. Uh, if you're visiting here with us, it's kind of a good one in lots of ways for you to come and check us out with, so that because you, you're going to get a really good understanding about what we're seeking to be as a church and who we think that we uh, should be and all that sort of stuff. If you're visiting here with us and you're checking out... Uh, God and Jesus and all that sort of stuff. I'm going to do my best to explain things about why we do this stuff uh, along the way and how it relates to everything that Jesus has done for us. But if you've got any questions about that, please let us know afterwards and we'll do our best to help you out. So like we uh, put up there last week, we're working through the, these different ideas about our vision, mission, culture, and values. We don't need to uh, read them up on the screen here. I'll read them out loud just so you can uh, sort of reorient yourselves as to what we're doing. But our vision here at Living Church is to be an ever-growing community who loves the Lord and each other. It's our mission to make Christ-like disciples in Southeast Brisbane and beyond. We live this out in a culture that is intentional, authentic, welcoming, encouraging, and grace-filled. And it's built on our foundational values of being biblical, Christ-centered, and loving. And the whole reason that we're going through this stuff is because these ideas give us clarity about who we are as a people and what we are seeking to do. So our vision gives us clarity on what we want to be. Our mission gives us clarity on what we are all about. Our values give us clarity about the core beliefs that our vision and mission are built on, and our culture descriptors give us clarity about the patterns of behavior that we want to emphasize as we seek to achieve our vision and mission. And today, we're looking at the idea of our mission and what we are all about. That's what we're seeking to get some clarity on. 
Now, I hope you understand how this relates to vision. Uh, I've got some silhouettes here. So each of these guys, okay, have a vision to be an awesome musician, all right? That's the vision that they see in front of them. They want to be an awesome mission. But each of them inside this awesome vision are kind of about something different. Like there's something else that drives them at their heart, right? So our first guy here leaning in with the mic stand, he's all about engaging with the crowd and, and, and having that energy of being up in front of a whole bunch of different people. He wants to be an awesome musician, but when he imagines what that's all about, he sees that interaction with the crowd and just going for it in that way. All right? Our man straight out of 1987, uh, they're possibly poison. You know, it could be Van Halen, not sure. Uh, but he is all about the money. He will wear anything and do anything that he can to get the bucks and sell those albums because he wants to be an awesome musician. But when he thinks about that, he's seeing dollar signs. All right? No judgment on any of the guys and the hairstyles at the time. You know, that's cool. All right? Our next guy is a singer-songwriter who's here for the music, man. I just want to create art. All right, that, that's what I, I want to be an awesome musician, but not, not for the money, not for the fame. It's just the beauty of the art that I'm creating. That's what I'm all about in this business, not like those other phonies, okay? You know that guy, all right? You know, you know. And then the last one, they're about the life, okay? For them, it's about the, the life of a musician and just everything that comes with it and what, what it actually just looks like to be in music and the people and the journey on the roads and, and, and everything, the recording sessions, everything that goes along with it. They're about the life, man. It's the musician's life. That's what really drives them. See, each of them have a vision to be an awesome musician. They can see it, but what that's shaped by is what they're all about. What's at their, their heart? What's at their, their core thing that they actually want within that idea? And that's, what we, that's why we need clarity about what our mission is, because as we talked about last week, we have a vision to be an ever-growing community of people who love the Lord and each other. But what drives that, what's at the heart of that, is this mission to make Christ-like disciples in Southeast Brisbane and beyond. That, that's what's at the heart of this for us. And so whatever our vision is going to look like, it's going to be shaped by what's at the heart of things for us as a church family and as the people of God here at Living Church, that we're all about making Christ-like disciples in Southeast Brisbane and beyond. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to go through where this mission comes from for us in the scriptures. We're going to understand what it's based upon, get some clarity about how we've arrived at this, but also on what it looks like for you guys as individuals, but also really, really importantly for us as a church together corporately. Okay, so four questions we're going to be looking at, or four, four topics. Why it's our mission to make disciples? Why it's our mission to make Christ-like disciples? Why Southeast Brisbane and beyond? And what this looks like for us. So first up, why it's our mission to make disciples? Okay, three reasons, all right, why it's our mission. It's because it's the pattern of the early church. It's what Jesus commands us. And because Christ's love compels us. Okay? So first one up, the pattern of the early church was to make disciples. Okay? We saw last week when we talked about being an ever-growing church that one of the ways that we want to be ever-growing is in number because number represents people. And we saw from some verses there that from the earliest days of the church, the church grew. Those who accepted his messages were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Similarly, the early Christians broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But what's interesting is when you look through Acts, it's not just described in terms of numbers, but specifically the people who were being added were 
disciples. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Now, disciple can sound like a really uh, religious word these days. It's, it, I mean, I think that it's probably not used out of a religious context very much. Uh, you know, maybe by metaphor and analogy and that sort of thing. Maybe like in a martial arts school or something like that. My disciples, I don't know, what's some Karate Kid, Cobra Kai, whatever. Uh, but we, it's not a word that we use often, but what it really means, really, really simply, is simply follower. When we talk about being somebody being a disciple of somebody else, what that means is that they're a follower of them. They follow in their footsteps. They follow their example to a certain extent. And so what we're talking about here when we talk about making disciples in the early church is that they were growing by adding more people who were following Jesus. That, that's what that looked like. Okay? So the pattern of the early church is that they were making disciples. Disciples were adding to their number. The second reason was that Jesus commands it. This is why the early disciples did this. In his divine authority, Jesus commands us to make disciples. Most famously, of course, from Matthew chapter 28. It's the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus has died and risen again, and he meets with his disciples on the mountaintop. And he comes to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. After his death and his resurrection, Jesus has been revealed to be the Son of God, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All authority is now his, and in that authority that's been given to him by God, he now says, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And he adds to this, these three sort of words that go along with it. If you look at the original Greek, make disciples is sort of the big idea. And then these other three ideas hang off of it, which is go, baptize, and teach. But the key command that those other things sit within is go forth and make disciples. Make disciples. That's what you need to go and do now. I've come back from the dead. I've been revealed to be the one who is the Son of God. All authority has been given to me. And now what I want you to do is go forth and make more followers of me baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you to the very end of the age, and I will be with you always. That's, this is the command that Jesus gives. So it's significant because it's, the, it's basically the last thing that Jesus says to his guys before he's about to ascend and go up to heaven. What, what you say last kind of stays with the person. It was really clear that this is what he wanted them to get to work Doing, and it's also very clear from the pattern of the early church that this is what they heard and understood and went forth and did. Okay, so why it's our mission to make disciples? It's the pattern of the early church. Jesus commands us as followers of Christ to make more followers of Christ. And finally, Christ's love compels us. All right, Christ's love compels us to see others be reconciled to Christ. This, is, uh, this next scripture is from a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, his, the, the, what's called the second letter to the Corinthians. He's just been talking to them about appearing before the judgment seat of God and about receiving what's due for, for the deeds done that's in the body, whether good or bad. You know, it's all coming out of the grace of God. We're, we're saved by our faith in Jesus, but we'll still, there'll be a sense there of what we do in this earth matters. And then he goes on to say, since then, that we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. 
It drops down a little bit further. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And I think this is a really important one because these days, the idea of making disciples, even the word making someone else into a follower of Christ can make us feel a little uncomfortable. It feels like, well, what right do I have to make somebody else into something? Now, when we talk about making in this sense, we're not talking about forcing or manipulating or anything else like that. But there's this, even then still, if we sort of dim it down a little bit and it's not you know, coercing anybody into do this, but, but simply seeking to make somebody into a disciple in open and honest means, it can make us feel uncomfortable because what, what right do I have to put that on somebody else? But this is the thing. The way that it gets described to us, what, what we're doing here is that having been loved by Jesus and knowing what he has done for us and knowing his love, it now becomes the desperate desire of our heart for others to also know this love and to be rightly aligned with God. So it's saying there, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, Jesus died for all people and for our sins to pay the price for them. Therefore, all died. Everyone, everyone dies in their sins. And he died for all that those who live should no longer just live for themselves, but for him who raised, who's, sorry, for, them, for him who died for them and was raised again. We're not meant to just live for ourselves anymore. Having known the love of Christ, knowing the one who's died for us, knowing the great sacrifice that he paid, we want others too now to serve him. And Paul frames it like this. He says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, it works like this. Having been in a place where I've now known the love of Christ and known how much he loves us, I'm now compelled to see others also know the love of Jesus. And the language that Paul uses here to talk about what that looks like is the ministry of reconciliation. It's not forcing my views or opinions on somebody else. It's helping them to see what Christ has done in order to be back in relationship with his people. That all of us have sinned, all of us have been separated from God. We no, no, no longer know the love of God. And now what Paul is saying is we've been given this great and precious privilege of this ministry of reconciliation as though God is working through us. And so compelled by the love that I know of Jesus, I now have this awesome responsibility to tell other people about what Jesus has done, that they might be united to him too, so they too can follow him as we do, no longer serving themselves, but serving Christ. We're compelled by Christ's love. That's the reason that we do this. Not because we're special, not because we're you know, thinking that we're awesome or we've found the way or anything else like that, but because we know the love of Christ and we want others to know that also.
Right? And to a long way, you know, to a certain extent, that goes a long way to explaining why it's our mission to make Christ-like disciples. Because following Christ, being a disciple of Jesus, is to become like Christ. That's the whole point. We're not making disciples of, of any other superstar or, or anything else like that. We're making disciples of Jesus. Be, and part of that is becoming like him. It's becoming Christ-like. This is what Jesus himself said to those who want to follow him. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus is saying really clearly that what it looks like to follow me is to follow me in suffering. Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to die for us. And if you want to follow me, then that means doing the same thing as me, being willing to suffer and die for others. That's what it looks like to follow me and to die to yourself and your desires. That's what it looks like to follow me. Peter says it again in his letter. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Following Christ means becoming like him because we follow the example that he set. We, we follow in his footsteps. Particularly first in suffering, but really in all things. So Paul writes the, the church in Corinth again. He says to do everything for the glory of God, and he puts it in these terms. What that looks like is follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's our job here as those who are following Christ to bring others with us so we can say to them, listen, I know you're new, I, knew, I know you're learning this, but, but follow me as I follow Christ. You, you might not know Jesus that well just yet. You've come to faith in him. But as you learn more and more about what he looks like, follow me as I follow Christ and we'll go together in following him. Jesus points to himself again and again as the example for us to emulate the one who we are to follow. When he talks about loving others, he says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Being a follower of Jesus means seeking to be like him in all that we do. Even in, in, our, in our moral and, and ethical space. This is a slightly different one, but I, but I think you'll see the idea. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul wrote, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Created to be like God, that's not being like Christ, is it? Well, what is the perfect perfection of God and human together? What does it look like for a human to be like God? It's to be like Christ. So what it means for us to make disciples is to make Christ-like disciples because he is the example, the one that we are to follow, the one that we are to emulate ourselves after. That's, that's the picture that we've been given. Okay, so that's why it's our mission to make disciples. That's why it's our mission to make Christ-like disciples. Why Southeast Brisbane and beyond? A couple of scriptures here for this one. Obviously, in the command that Jesus gives to go and make disciples, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Right, there's a sense there in which we're to, to go, to take the gospel to different places around the place. So 
what, what's the grounds for, for saying that we should also be you know, focused here, that it's okay to be doing this here in, in, in Brisbane and to have a particular focus in a particular geographic area? Well, it comes from that, that Bible reading that we heard just before. In Acts 1.6, again, the, the disciples gather with Jesus before he's about to ascend to go to heaven. And they ask him and say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They thought maybe that now Jesus had returned from the dead, that he was going to sort of make something new of this political kingdom of Israel. But he said to them, it's not for you to know the, know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is that little circle there, in all Judea, which is that little circle there, roughly, and Samaria, which is a little bit further north again, and then to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus' picture of what it was going to look like to go forth and make disciples, to bear witness to him, to tell people about what he had done, looked like some people staying and some people going. And so we see this amongst the first followers of Jesus. James, Jesus' brother, he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He stays put. He's a, he's a Jewish guy who becomes leader of the church in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish faith, and and they see lots of people come to Christ amongst the Jewish people right there in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Paul gets sent out as the one who's going to go and tell all the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, about Jesus. And so for all of us, there's there's kind of this question for us to ask, are we meant, should I stay or should I go? It doesn't mean that it'll be, you know, easy Either way, if you go, there will be trouble. If you stay, it will be double. Come on. I know how old you are now, but that's the with you after that. All right. But this is the deal. In this, right, we all have a responsibility to figure out what's God calling me to, even as a people of God here at Living Church. We've got the partnership committee here that Aiden heads up. Where'd you go, Aiden? I saw you before there. We've got a bunch of missionaries and people that are doing gospel work around the place that we are partnering with financially and praying for them. But this is the thing, guys. We also need to be thinking about ourselves being a sending church where we're not just partnering with others and sending them money and prayers to go and do work elsewhere. We also need to be a people who are thinking about which one of us are going to stay, and which ones of us are going to go. That we need to recognize that with all the blessings that we have here, that these aren't just all for us. Yes, lots of us, probably most of us, are going to be staying here in one way or another. But for some of us, there's going to be this call to go. And we need to recognize that as a church, we have responsibility, not just financially, not just prayerfully, but also people-wise to be thinking about how can we be training up young people, old people, people from every nation and every tribe, so that they can go forth and tell others the good news and we can see disciples being made all over the place. They might not ever make it back here to living church, but it's still part of our responsibility to be sending people to go forth and do this. And so we need to encourage this idea of being willing to go out and do that sort of work. We need to not just hold on to our own resources and our own people and think about us and what we look like here, but actually being willing to send, so that we might fulfill that great commission, not just here locally, but also to go and make disciples. Go across the street, absolutely, but go to a place that's never heard the gospel, a thousand percent. 
So that's why it's Southeast Brisbane and beyond. And then finally, we're going to spend the last section here uh, going through what this looks like for us. Okay, I want to uh, just unpack this a little bit here, all right? because there's really two elements to this. And I just need to remind you guys of this, because I'm, I'm a little worried that if we just focus on some of the practical stuff that you might feel like this is a little bit lacking in some of the, the spiritual things that we need to be doing. And I would agree if that's all we were focusing on. But I want to remind you about the Rhythms of Church Life series that we did last year. Uh, for those of you that are visiting uh, who, who don't uh, have a frame of reference for this, essentially what we did was we walked through why we do all the different stuff that we do as part of our regular church life, the, the rhythms of our, our church. Why we read the Bible, why we pray, why we gather together in these big gatherings on a Sunday, why we gather together in small groups during the week in various forms, whether it's growth groups or whether it's service teams, you know, whether it's uh, organic relational stuff, whatever it might be. And we work through all these things because they come from the wisdom given to us in Scripture. So I'll read them through just to remind you about the, the, the depth of the, the stuff that we looked at then. And you can always go back and have a look at this stuff for yourself. But you know, we meditate on the Word of God day and night so we can grow in our faith, hope, and wisdom and be equipped for all the good deeds, the God, good works that God has for us. We pray constantly and persistently with all kinds of prayers and requests that God's will would be done in the name of Jesus. We regularly gather in large gatherings to hold on to the hope we have and to spur each other on to love and good deeds by hearing God's word taught and worshiping him and by encouraging one another. And we regularly gather in small gatherings to hold on to the hope we have and spur each other on to love and good deeds by living for God and loving one another in Christ-centered community. Now, I'm sure with some of the language there, you can hear some of the overlap with some of our vision and mission stuff. But remember, that's at the heart of all the different things that we do. So what we're doing now is talking not about the rhythms so much, all the, the great word, spiritual disciplines, the things that we do, but rather our, our sort of practical church strategy so that you guys can understand that as we talk about being missional as a community, what that looks like for all of us. Does that make sense? Sort of on board, understanding where we're going here? Okay, cool. All right, so the idea here is with a church-wide strategy that every one of us has a part to play in making Christ-like disciples in Southeast Brisbane and beyond. Right, we had our church life, uh, our term church life the other week where we talk about what's coming up in the year and all that sort of thing. And one of the things that I said was, was that we need everybody to understand is that every member ministry here at Living Church is more important than ever. If we're going to continue to grow as a church, if we're going to be an ever-growing community, it can't just be what happens up front. It can't just be the teachers and all that sort of stuff. It's got to be all of us together working to seeing this vision and this mission achieved. So I want to uh, sort of Use a diagram here to, to give you a little bit of a sense of what it looks like for us to all work together, okay? So this is us in sort of really broad terms, all right? We've got we're a, a people that have got a whole bunch of relationships. We've got our broader church community. I'll explain that in a second. Then we've got our, our regular sort of church community and then our really committed core, all right? For all of us, we've got relationships. We've got friends, family, coworkers, classmates. I've got baristas. That's my other category, uh, I know that's a personal one, you know, fill in the blanks for yourself there, okay? But we've all got relationships, okay? People that we are connected with in one form or another. That's our broader relationship pool. Then as a community, we've got our Friday night stuff. We've got Youth Connect, Kids Connect, Playtime, Christianity Explored. The, anyone that's involved in these ministries and coming along to this sort of stuff is part of our broader living church community. 
Then we've got our, our church stuff, our, our regular things. I was meant to change that. It's not meant to say youth Bible studies. Dang it, James. It's meant to be youth, youth growth groups. Okay, but essentially it's our Sunday services. It's kids' church. It's our after, Sunday afternoon youth growth groups. It's, it's all the things that we do here together on a Sunday that's more specifically focused on the Word of God. Okay, same with our, our midweek growth groups. That sort of stuff should be up there as well. And then at the committed center, we've got regular attendance at church, being part of a service team, being involved in growth group, coming to church life, being a member, the workshops that we run, the ministry uh, training, leadership stuff, it, all, all that sort of thing. Okay, that's what it looks like. Yeah, so, so there's sort of these different levels of where you might be at in the church community. And you, you might be looking at that and able to place yourself now. All right? So let me just go back to the, the relationship one and then talk about how this progresses. So for all of you with your relationships, what we want to be doing as a church family, all of us, okay, is talk, engage, invite, and proclaim. We want to be people who talk about our faith. When somebody says to us on Monday morning, how was the weekend? You say, yeah, it was great. We had sport with the kids on Saturday. That was awesome. We had church on Sunday morning. James preached just an absolutely fire sermon. It was so good. No. Church was great. We got to you know, hang. We got to see our church family. That, that was terrific. You know, we, we, you know, oh, you do church? Yeah, no, we love it. Um, it's, made it it's a massive part of my life. It's just talking about it. Just like you'd tell somebody about your, I don't know, hobby of bird watching or uh, your deep world of Warcraft intermissions and that sort of stuff. You, you talk about the stuff that you love, right? We just want you to do the same with church. Just tell people about, you know, yeah, I, what did you do last night? I went to a growth group. What's that? We get together and we study the Bible and we share prayer points and we, oh, okay, cool. We want you to talk about your faith in your church life. That's the first one. Second one, we want to engage. As people have questions... Okay, we want you to talk to them. Don't, don't shy, don't run away from those opportunities. You don't need to know all the answers. You've just got to be willing to be friendly and loving and kind and do your best. And if they've got a question you don't know the answer to, maybe I can ask somebody about that and, and bring that back to you next week. Would that be okay? Just being willing to engage and talk. I, heard, I was at youth camp yesterday, heard so many great stories of kids and, and adults just coming to faith because somebody took the time to love them and be patient with them. And maybe it took years, but just over time, they, they, they opened up and the more they got to know God's people and the more they got, they got to understand about Jesus, the, the, the conversation changed. And it was not so much about, what about this problem? What about that problem? It's just, wait, tell me more about this guy, Jesus. Third thing we should be doing is inviting people in. Maybe it's going to be to our broader church community. Maybe it's to here on Sunday. Okay, invite them along. Hey, you should come to church one time. Yeah, it's great. It's a blast. Well, hey, come along to Friday night. We're going to have some drinks. There'll be some food there. The kids can play or whatever. Or you know what? If you, if you don't have kids, that's fine because we've got dinner and it's, a, it's a, just a cool, cheap hang on a Friday night. You should come along. It's going to be fun. Whatever, lots of easy invites, and we just want to be making this a regular part of what we do as a church family all the time. Talk, engage, invite, and proclaim. Some of you... You know your Bibles well. You feel confident talking about Jesus to others. You really feel like you can do that yourself. Now, to a certain extent, we all need to be getting here, but I know that for some of you, that's a big and scary thing. It's not necessarily going to be for everyone all the time, but we also want to be proclaiming it ourselves as we feel led and as we're gifted to do. All right, what happens when people come inside the broader community? Well, you're never going to believe it. It's the same thing. We want you to talk, engage, invite, and proclaim. You'll notice a theme here in just a second. Some of you are a little slower than others, but we'll get there. Uh, so talk and engage again, all right? And the other one is, of course, invite. Hey, you've been coming along to Fridays. You should come along and check out Sunday. That'd be awesome. 
It's really great. You'll know a bunch of the people there. You've, you've been coming along, or you know, you've been coming to playtime for a little while now, and you've met some of the other mums and everything, and, and the dads, you should come along. Check this out. And then again, when they get into there to that, that Sunday space, we want to invite people again and again, give lots of opportunities for people to get involved. So it's not just being here on a Sunday, but rather we want to talk, engage, and invite again so that we people see people getting more and more involved at every level. All right, can you see how it works? Does this make sense? All right, there's, there's a church strategy. But here's the thing, guys. This is what I want you to understand. This is going to look different for all of us. Right, there's, a, there's a big picture to it, but the key thing is, is that all of us do, do have a part to play in this. But I, as I've sort of gone through all that strategy stuff, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I understand that that, you know, for some of you is like, oh, gosh, you know, you start to get a bit this way with us. But I want to remind you that this is the stuff that we seek to do because Christ's love compels us. Because Jesus has commanded us and because this is what the church has always done. We're simply trying to do it in the most effective way that we can. Now, we saw last week, we know that it's God that brings the growth. But we want to be, as wisely as we can be, sowing seeds and watering. As we proclaim the word of God, as we seek to teach people about what it means, as we seek to love one another and to love the Lord, we want to try and do it in the wisest way possible. And that's why it's good for all of us to have a bit of an understanding about how it all fits together and what this big picture is. So I want to encourage you guys to be, to be thinking about this, to talking, be talking about it this week in growth groups, to be thinking about your part, what this looks like, okay? And to be really praying for what your role looks like in this place. Many of you, you know it, you've been serving here for a long time, but for others who are just getting involved, there's opportunities all over the place for you to join that committed core to be part of what we're doing here and to see more and more Christ-like disciples being made here and beyond. I'm going to pray for that now. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you so much that through his work on the cross, it's now possible for sinners to be reconciled to God. And Father, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how badly we've messed up. It doesn't matter whether we've never known you or whether we have known you and sinned against you and run far, far away. Lord, through Jesus Christ, it's possible for us to come to you. And Father, it is our heart's cry that we would seek to make Christ-like disciples here in this place and beyond. That Lord, we might love and serve you well as your people, committed to the mission that you've given to us to make disciples to see more and more people become your followers. We think now about our friends and our family out there, our acquaintances, the casual relationships that we have, our coworkers, our classmates, whatever the case may be, all those that you've put into our orbit, that we have the opportunity and the privilege to talk to about you, to engage with them, to invite them along, and to proclaim the gospel to. We pray, Father, you'd be at work in their hearts and their minds. And we pray, Father, that as they hear the truth of your gospel, they would come to you and they would believe and they would trust in you and follow you with everything they have. And they would join us as we seek to love you and love one another well. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.